I smell a bug. A big, black, juicy... about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The high court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? Well, hello there. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. This is episode 84, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Kelly, an old man from the Midwest. The idea of this podcast is to force me to watch films that are out of my comfort zone. And for that, I depend on you, the listener. So next time you watch a film that's, well, just crazy and you don't know what to make of it, keep me in mind. I'll have information on how you can reach me at the end of today's show. But today I'm going to talk about a movie you've probably never seen before, and that's the 1967 film Spider Baby, or The Maddest Story Ever Told. It was written and directed by the great Jack Hill, and it stars Lon Chaney, Jill Banner, Carol Omart, Quinn Redeker, Beverly Washburn, Sid Haig, Mary Mitchell, Carl Schnazer, and Matt Moreland. Now, Spider Baby was Jack Hill's first feature film, And he would go on to direct classics like The Big Bird House, Coffee, Foxy Brown, The Big Bird Cage, Pit Stop, Swinging Cheerleaders, and Switchblade Sisters. Yes, he was the master of exploitation films. I mean, say what you want about his films, but I will just say that on Sarah Freeman's top 10 of feminist-minded films, both Coffee and Switchblade Sisters, while not in the top 10, do get mentioned, so there's that. And if you want to give Jack credit for anything, it was through Jack that we have Pam Greer. Now, before we get into Mr. Hill, what is Spider Baby? Now, if you would rather see the film before I talk about it, it is available everywhere, even on YouTube. So you can stop this now, check it out, then come back and hear what I have to say. But I'm telling you, be prepared to be disturbed. The film opens with a song sung by Lon Chaney, and it goes something like this. Dreams and bones and bats and bones and teenage monsters in haunted homes, a ghost on the stair, a vampire's bite, better beware, (laughs) there's a full moon tonight. a ball, Frankenstein, Dracula, and even the mummy are sure to end up in somebody's tummy. (laughs) 
doesn't that make you want to watch this film? And then after the opening credits, Peter Howe gives us the definition of something called the Mary Syndrome, which is reminiscent of Criswell from Plan 9. The Mary Syndrome, so-called because its only known occurrence, is among the descendants of one Ebenezer Mary, a progressive age regression beginning about the 10th year and continuing steadily throughout the victim's lifetime. It is believed that eventually the victim of the Mary syndrome may even regress beyond the prenatal level, reverting to a pre-human condition of savagery and cannibalism. Then we flash back to the story in which he was involved in that dealt with the last few carriers of the awful condition. A delivery man is riding a three-wheeled vehicle down an old country road. He's looking for the Mary house to make a delivery. Can you tell me where the Mary house is? I said the Mary house. If there is any such place, we don't know anything about it. This will be the last delivery he ever makes. The Mary house is a large Gothic home. When the delivery man can't get an answer at the door, he sticks his head through the window and gets stuck. A young girl, Virginia, carrying what looks like a spider web fashioned from old string or rope, and two large knives attack. Hello? house there lives four people the married children ralph virginia and elizabeth and the family chauffeur named bruno he's been taking care of the kids ever since the parents had died bruno protects the kids because they suffer from this mary syndrome while the two young girls i'd guess about 10 or 12 years old still act like young children ralph who is much older has now become a mentally deficient simpleton. We later learn that he travels through the house using a dumbwaiter. When Bruno returns, he's a little bit disturbed to find the dead body, but he's more disturbed when he reads the letter the delivery man had brought. It was from a lawyer. Oh, Ralph, what have you got there? Something that man had. Ralph, give it to me. That's it. Thank you, Ralph. The lawyer, Schlocker, is coming to the home that day with a brother and sister named Emily and Peter Howe. They want to take over the custody of the children and, of course, take ownership of the large house. I've never heard of the Mary family. What is that? They're our cousins, darling. It behooves us to meet them. All right. I mean, you know, all right. But remember that it was not my idea, okay? Of course not, darling. You don't have ideas, baby Peter, brother. When Bruno brings the delivery man's body to the basement, we hear him call out to a few others who apparently live down there, but not really. I'm coming, Aunt Clara. Aunt Martha. 
I'm coming, Uncle Ned. Now, along with the lawyer, Schlocker has his secretary, Ann Morris. When they all get together, Bruno explains the situation, and then questions are asked. Now, see here, Bruno. Uh, you don't seem to realize just how serious all this is. Now, these uh, children are obviously in need of qualified professional care, wouldn't you say? It turns out that the five guests have decided, much to Bruno's objections, to spend the night. Bruno and the children attempt to act normal for the family, hiding their strange behavior, including Elizabeth's taste for bugs. After all, she thinks she's a spider. Having rabbit for dinner surprises the guests. <laughs> what is that? Well, that's rabbit. Obviously. Not bad, Bruno. Looks done to a turn. Thank you, sir. I hope you enjoy it. But the rabbit is just for them because the Mary family is vegetarian. And that's your basic setup. The four guests will try to make it through the night. And I won't spoil it for you, but not everyone makes it out alive. I don't know what you people are up to here, but I'm going to have to call in the authorities. There are laws. Criminal laws, I... So, let's meet our cast. The film stars the legendary Mr. Lon Chaney Jr. Elizabeth, how many times have I told you it's not nice to hate? He, of course, was the son of the legendary silent film star Lon Chaney Sr. And Jr. lived from 1906 to 1973. He's most famous, of course, for The Wolfman in 1941 and all its sequels. He had a long career, but by the time of Spider Baby, his alcoholism had pretty much taken over. His drunken antics were famous in Hollywood. In fact, I've read that he used to tell directors they better get the shots they need before noon, because after that, he was useless with drink. Now, apparently, Cheney, after reading the script, loved it so much that he agreed to do it for $2,500, a lot less than his usual fee. And they say he gave up drinking for the duration of filming. Now, the truth is, Lon was never a great actor, but he does wonderful in this film. He's a large but kind and gentle man. Now, children, I want to tell you something, and I want you to listen very, very carefully. You remember last time when those two children climbed over the wall and Virginia almost caught them in her spider web? Mm -hmm. Well, that got people to wondering about us. And that's bad. It might be the best thing that he ever did in his later career. And of course, they had to sneak in a few Wolfman references. Are you a horror film fan, Miss Morse? Oh, yes, I love it. Dracula, Frankenstein. And the mummy? Oh, the mummy. I love the mummy. The way he walks. Step scrape. Step scrape. Oh, and the wolf man. There's going to be a full moon tonight. 
Carol Omart plays Emily Howe, the sister who wants to take over the house. There seems to be a difference of opinion as to who is the guest and who the host here. <laughs> uh, you do have food in the house, don't you? Carol lived from 1927 to 2002. She was mostly a TV actor, but did a handful of films including her most famous role as Vincent Price's wife in The House on Haunted Hill from 1959. In reviewing Spider-Baby, David Carnes stated that Carol Omart excels as a nasty Harris, intent on kicking the freaks out of their decaying mansion. Carol is wonderfully bad in this movie, and she also looks pretty good wearing black lingerie as well. Her brother in the film, Peter, is played by Quinn Redeker, who was on this planet from 1936 to 2022. Aw, he's all right, Emily. He's just a big kid. Quinn had an over 50-year career. Another one of those actors who pops up all over the place in all types of TV and film. He's a face you would recognize. One of his earliest roles was in The Three Stooges Meet Hercules from 1962. And strangely, he co-authored the story for the 1978 film The Deer Hunter. Other than that, I really don't know a lot about him. And he's just fine as the always-smiling, good-natured, happy-go-lucky man. The older daughter, Elizabeth, is played by Beverly Washburn. Virginia, are you crazy? Now look what you've done. You're bad. Bad. Bruno's going to hate you. Beverly was born in 1943 and, as of this recording, is still alive at 79. She started as a child actor, beginning at age three. At seven, she was in the 1950 film The Killer Stalked New York, and the following year, Frank Capra's Here Comes the Groom. Perhaps her most famous role was in Old Yeller in 1957. She also did a lot of TV work, over 100 roles by the time she was 16. Star Trek fans might remember her from 1967 when she played Arlene Galloway in The Deadly Years. She made this film the same year. She is definitely wonderful as the sort of tattletale sister. Bruno, Virginia hurt somebody real bad. You ought to hate her. Elizabeth, how many times have I told you it's not nice to hate? Her sister Virginia is played by Jill Banner. I caught a Big, fat bug right in my spider web. And now the spider gets to give the bug a big stink. Jill was born Mary Malumbi and lived from 1946 to 1982. Spider Baby was her first starring role, which was probably bad for her because this film wasn't released for four years after it was completed. I'll get to that in a bit. She had been in a few things before this, including the president's analysis the same year. I think they were all tiny roles, however. After this, she did a bit of TV work before retiring from acting in 72. She took a job in real estate in New Mexico. It should also be noted that she was with Marlon Brando from 1968 to 1982 and was working on a screenplay with them when she was tragically killed in a horrible auto accident when she was only 35. She might have been very inexperienced, and she lied about her age to get the part, but the camera just loved her, and she's wonderful as the creepy spider baby.
The part of Ralph, the mentally challenged young man, is played by the remarkable Sid Hag. Sid lived from 1939 to 2019. For many of you, you might know him for his later work with Rob Zombie as Captain Spaulding, but Sig had a long career before that. At seven years old, he worked as a paid dancer in a children's Christmas show and later joined a vaudeville revival show. He was a drummer who played in a rock surf band before turning to acting. He was trained at the Pasadena Playhouse. His acting credits are way too long to go into here. But he worked with Jack Hill in a lot of his films, such as Pit Stop, The Big Dollhouse, The Big Birdcage, Black Mama, White Mama, Coffee, and Foxy Brown. He was also in the James Bond film Diamonds Are Forever. His TV work includes The Untouchables, Batman, Gunsmoke, Mission Impossible, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Star Trek, Get Smart, The Rockford Files, Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, Bruck Rogers of the 25th Century, The Dukes of Hazzard, The A-Team, MacGyver, and Emergency. Jack Hill wrote the part of Ralphie with Sid in mind because they went to college together. And let me tell you, you've never seen anything until you've seen Sid in this film bald with a little Lloyd Fauntleroy outfit. He said, The famous little Fauntleroy suit that I had from the dinner sequence. What a dopey getup that was. Oh my god, I can't even begin to tell you what I thought about that. Oh, and I can't really play any audio from Sig in this movie because he has no real lines. He can't speak. The part of the messenger was played by Matt and Moreland. Anybody home? Anybody home? Please say yes, somebody's home. Matton lived from 1902 to 1973 and had a very long Hollywood career. Some might know him from the films he did with Frankie Darrow in the early 40s, but he was in over 130 films in his 40-year career. Any lover of old Hollywood would surely know him, even if he didn't know his name. If you see a black actor in a comic role in the 30s, 40s, or 50s, it was probably Moreland. In fact, he was hired by Jack Hill because, since he was known for his comic roles, Jack thought people might be shocked to see him get killed at the beginning. The lawyer is played by Carl Schanzer. Now, Bruno, I'd like to ask a few questions, if you don't mind. Carl lived from 1932 to 2014 and was only in a handful of films in his career, this being his last. His few movies include The Wasp Woman from 59, Tonight for Sure from 62, Dementia 13 from 63, and Bloodbath from 66. I really don't have much to say except that, in my opinion, he's the weakest part of the film. He's a little over the top, playing the greedy, silly lawyer. It sort of takes you out of the film a bit. I mean, he's your typical greedy lawyer, complete with beautiful secretary, bad mustache, and cigar. I couldn't help but think of Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall when he plays Cabbage Head. Hey, but maybe that's just me. Oh, and I almost forgot about Mary Mitchell as Anne, the secretary. Uh, Mr. Schlocker, I mean, uh, if you don't need me anymore tonight, I could just as well stay in down. She's sort of the love interest in this film, and she's very beautiful and does a good job. Though I couldn't find out a lot about her. My dear, there's no doubt in my mind that we have here an absolutely clear-cut prima facie open-and-shut case. Great. 
Now, all I want to know is what is it worth in dollars and cents? In watching the making of documentary that's on the DVD, it seems the whole cast and crew had a really good time working together. Jack Hill said of his luck while casting, As a director, I had very little experience with actors, and I really didn't know much about acting, and this movie was just a miracle of casting. My experience has shown that casting is really largely a matter of luck because you never know how actors are going to play off each other until you actually get them together in a film. Jack Hill was born in 1933 and is still alive today at the age of 90. He graduated with a music degree from UCLA and actually played on the soundtrack for Dr. Zhivago. One of his fellow students at UCLA was his friend Francis Ford Coppola, and he helped Coppola with his student films. One of Jack's short films, The Host, starred Sid Haig. Like Coppola, Jack would go on to work with Roger Corman, First writing on such films as The Terror and Coppola's Dementia 13, both from 1963. Now, while Corman gave his start to many young filmmakers, including Coppola, Ron Howard, Martin Scorsese, Jonathan Deming, Peter Bogdanovich, Joe Dante, and James Cameron, Hill, unlike the others, never broke out of low-budget films. Quentin Tarantino called Hill the Howard Hawks of exploitation filmmaking. While Jack was working for Corman, he had just filmed additional scenes for a Yugoslavian-made spy thriller called Operation Titan that became a bloodbath. That film deserves its own episode and maybe next week's story. By the way, a little side story here about Roger Corman, and this has nothing to do with anything, nothing to do with today's story anyway. It was from Ron Howard. He said when he was making the film for Corman, Eat My Dust, he went up to Corman to ask him for more money because he wanted to film a crowd scene and he needed to hire extras. Apparently, Corman told him, Ron, I'm not going to give you any more money, but the good news is, if this movie's successful, you'll never have to work for me again. Anyway, Spider Baby came about because the man who played the lawyer, Carl Shazner, was a friend of Hill's, and he was also an out-of-work actor who was working as a private detective to earn a living. He worked on a job for two guys, Paul Monka and Gil Lasky. When the case was over, they asked Carl about himself, and he explained that he was really an actor. They said, isn't that funny? We always wanted to produce a picture. So Carl told them they should meet his friend Jack Hill. At the same time, Jack Hill was working on a story about two evil little girls. So Shaznir took the idea to the two would-be producers. Manka and Lasky thought the idea was so different from anything they had ever seen, they decided to produce the film with Jack Hill as writer-director. Jack's original story was called Cannibal Orgy or The Maddest Story Ever Told. He said he came up with that title because there was a film at the time called The Greatest Story Ever Told, and he thought it would be funny. Unfortunately, the film wasn't released for four or five years, and by then the joke was over. Now, Lon Chaney was known for causing trouble on the set, with his drinking and all, but according to the crew, he was a kind gentleman all throughout shooting, and the entire production cost only $65,000 and took about 12 days to shoot in black and white. Hill, having no money to hire an editor, did the job himself. So once they had a final cut, they showed it to a potential distributor. Unfortunately, it was late in the day, and the distributors had just got done watching another movie. So after about 20 minutes into the film, they all just walked out. 
Hill tried to explain that, hey, they were tired and hungry, but they saw enough to decide. But the producers panicked. And much to Hill's anger, they cut out the first 20 minutes of the film to show other potential distributors. And now the film didn't make any sense, and no one liked it at all. What's the matter, Peter? Chicken? Well, I just don't think it's, you know, just right to go barging in on somebody that you're about to sue. I just remember, we're trying to avoid that expense. At the same time, the producers, whose real job was in real estate, went into bankruptcy when the Los Angeles housing bubble suddenly burst. All their assets were held in litigation, including Spider Baby. As a result, the film was locked into a vault for almost five years. The cast and crew, who had been so excited about its release, now were crushed with disappointment. It was eventually released years later, but came and went very quickly. This is the phoniest setup I've ever seen. Now, many years later, when home video had begun, Jack realized that the film had been bootlegged on video cassette. Jack found a copy and was sickened by what he saw. It was transferred from an old beat-up 16mm print. He said it was so poor you couldn't see the actors' faces in some scenes. He made up his mind to do something about it, and he went to the lab where the negatives were stored. Afraid of being sued, they forbid him access to the negative because no one knew who had the rights to what. He called the original distributor, who gave him the name of the production company. He then called the lab and asked them who was on the access list. Jack was able to make a fake purchase order on his computer and faxed it to the lab. Sure enough, they called and invited him in. They transferred the film while he was there, and Jack paid for it and quickly left before they discovered the truth. When they did find out, Jack said they went ballistic, but Jack had his high-quality print. Well, uh, there's a great deal in what you say, sir. But uh, I gave their father a solemn oath that I'd never allow their unfortunate malady to become the object of public scrutiny. Nonsense. Now, years later, a man named Johnny Legend, who was a fan of the film and had heard Jack Hill had a copy, contacted Jack to see if he'd be interested in a home video release. They put it out on home video, and since then it has achieved cult status. As Jack said, the film is really about unconditional love. And you really and truly don't hate me? I promised you, Daddy, I'd never, never hate you. You did? You ought to hate him. Elizabeth, I told you it isn't nice to hate. I think this is a really fun film, a great dark horror comedy. Alfred Taylor's cinematography is beautiful. It's wonderful. His film he did right before this was The Atomic Brain. Now, I have to admit, there isn't much of an actual plot. I mean, most of the film is just weird scenes of visitors trying to spend the night with the Mary family. But that's okay, because this is just a great horror story. Though I have to warn you, there is a mm, rape scene, but it's done off-camera. I love this film from the first time I watched it just because it's so damn weird. But I'll admit, this film might not be for everybody. And to prove that, I'm going to turn to the IMDb Movie Reviews. Jim25116 gave it the full 10 stars. A funny, unashamedly crazy little movie. If you're looking for slick, look elsewhere. 
Spider Baby is a uniquely off-kilter movie that has no pretensions to being anything other than a very twisted horror comedy. It parodies movies in general, the horror genre, and itself with equal facility. There has certainly never been another film like it. The story of the revealing of all the skeletons in the closet of the Mary House unites Lon Chaney Jr. in his best performance of his career with Matt and Moreland, Carol House on Haunted Hill Omar, Beverly Washburn, Sid Haig, Mary Dementia 13 Mitchell, Jill Banner, 17 years old when she made this film, and others in a loony stew of murder, madness, and hilarious mayhem. Shepherd Jessica 14 gave it 7 stars. She made this comment. Adam's family visits the Bates Motel. This creepy little film is a minor masterpiece. I can't believe I never caught this one back in the 60s. Lon Chaney Jr. gives a heartfelt performance as old Bruno and the rest of the cast is splendid. Especially Jill Banner as Virginia. What a strange story to be filmed. A 7 out of 10. Best performance equals Lon Chaney Jr. with Jill Banner a close second. I'm no Jack Hill expert, but it sounds like he's made some interesting films in the 60s and 70s. I've never seen quite this combination of creepiness and black horror with stunning black and white cinematography. Track down this one for sure. The other two kids are marvelous as well. You don't have to like or hate spiders to enjoy this flick. Made in 12 Days. DJ Atkins only gave it five stars, and um, in his review, he capitalized a lot of words, so, so I'm going to overemphasize his capitalized phrases. Horror Beyond Horror. Yes, this movie is the precursor to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. However, this movie is far more disturbing. When you see Spider Baby, you see a true horror movie. Captain Spaulding from House of a Thousand Corpses has a role in this unforgettable movie about a dysfunctional family. The family is looked after by the dude who played the Wolfman. Yes, Lon Chaney Jr. And one young girl in this movie thinks she is a spider and is quite cruel. I won't tell you what she does to the black male man. Let's just say it's nasty and cruel. Sid Haig delivers so many goods in this movie. It's black and white and very scary. The part where they eat dinner is a classic. You'll never look at certain foods the same way again. Phew, I'm exhausted. You know, DJ Atkins, from the way you talk about this movie, I think it should have had a lot more than five stars. You talk about this movie like it's one of the best ever, yet you gave it a below average score. I don't get it. Farms19564 only gave it three stars. Spider Baby is just another version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Spider Baby, or the maddest story ever told, is a movie geared for older teens and those adults who are under 40. To me, Spider Baby is just another version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Spider Baby is a good movie to watch as a teen get-together or alone. A good time to watch this movie would be late at night, as this is a horror film. Lon Chaney plays a caregiver for a family of crazed killers. The family lives out in the middle of nowhere. They kill those who happen by. Money-hungry relatives come to put the so-called orphan children away, never knowing the children are serial killers. 
and administer slash steal the wealth of their so-called deceased relatives. It is sort of laughable when they get into their gruesome routine of killing. However, it is also horrifying. You want your own bowl of popcorn once the killing starts. Enjoy. Again, it seems like this reviewer enjoyed this movie more than the three stars he or she gave it. And look, to say this is just another version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this movie came out before the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so maybe that movie is just a rehashed version of Spider Baby. I don't know. And again, there's always a one-star review, and this time it's by CC the Movie Man 114 He wrote... Say it ain't so, Joe. Boy, did I get sucked into this one. Director Joe Dante, who did the Gremlins films and some other interesting movies, was quoted on the video boxes saying, This is irresistibly watchable as the Little Shop of Horrors, so I bought it unseen. Wow, Joe, you weren't even close. Little Shop of Horrors, the original, was outstanding. This movie stinks. The humor is almost non-existent. The characters were supposed to be really weird. Yes, they were weird, but weird enough to be memorable or fun to watch. In fact, the film commit the ultimate sin for a movie. It's boring. Anybody who claims this was suspenseful or entertaining must lead a very dull life. I'll never believe Joe Dante again. Yes, CC, Joe Dante did love this film, and he's done many interviews praising it. And Joe is right. Either that or me and Joe live pretty dull lives. Look, some people will get the joke, some people won't. It's just the way it is. But, CC, when you wrote, yes, they were weird, but weird enough to be memorable or fun to watch, I don't think that's what you meant. Not memorable or fun to watch might have made sense. But anyway... Now, as far as the music, it's okay. It's sort of your standard horror movie soundtrack. It was created by Donald Stein, who lived from 1930 to 1988. He was an American film composer who seemed to specialize in B-films with titles like It Conquered the World, Attack of the Crab Monsters, Invasion of the Saucermen, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, Hot Rod Gang, The Premature Burial, and The Haunted Place. So, like I said, you can find this movie anywhere. There's a version on YouTube that's sort of colorized. The credits are tinted red, and the rest of the film is sort of tinted sepia tone. Don't watch that one. Find yourself a nice, high-quality black-and-white print so you can see it how the filmmakers intended it to be seen. bit before I go. In 2007, an independent film producer named Tony Didio, D-I-D-I-O, planned on a remake with Jack Hill as an executive producer. As far as I know, it never happened. This year, filmmaker Dustin Ferguson acquired the rights and said he's planning to produce a remake. Hey folks, why don't you come up with your own 
creepy, dark, humorous, haunted house film. I mean, I really have no problem with remakes, but sometimes I think people only do remakes just because they know the title alone will help sell their project. Sorry, I'm rambling a bit here. Oh, and one more thing I forgot to mention, that the house they used in the film was not in an isolated area. It was in a neighborhood with a busy road in the distance. Jack had to shoot from the right angles to hide the other homes and traffic, often adding bushes to the background to hide things, as to not ruin the illusion of an isolated home in the middle of nowhere. Hey, if you've got any thoughts on Spider Baby, Jack Hill, Lon Chaney, or anything else involved with this film, you can send your thoughts to me. My email address is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Daysofcelluloid, all being one word. And you know what? You can email me just to say hi if you want. I enjoy getting a good email every now and again. Or you can use my Facebook page. It's called Celluloid Days, of course. Or Twitter. It's at celluloid underscore days. Next week, I don't know. I'm still looking for suggestions. I might do bloodbath. In fact, I'm leaning that way unless I get a good suggestion before then. You can send your ideas to me. The more strange and unusual, the better. And before I leave, I have one more request. If you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. They really help get the show out there. Hey, and thanks for listening. I hope you're all healthy, happy. Take care. I'll be back next week, hopefully on Wednesday. I know I'm a day late today. I'm sorry. Bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time.